Welcome to Quantum Magazine's podcast. Each episode, we bring you stories about developments in science and mathematics. I'm Susan Vallett. If plant evolution were a tough endurance race through mud and obstacles, sporopollenin would be the champ. It's a plant material so sturdy that it's known as the diamond of the plant world. And now, Structural studies of sporopollenin reveal how it made plants hardy enough to reproduce on dry land. That's next. Quanta Magazine is an editorially independent online publication supported by the Simons Foundation to enhance public understanding of science. Shuang Li, a biochemist and research scientist at the Whitehead Institute in Cambridge, Massachusetts, needed some pollen for his research. He knew exactly where to go. Every spring, the pitch pine trees ringing Walden Pond in Concord release clouds of golden pollen that coat the water and swirl along the shore. Henry David Thoreau, who lived here for two years in the 1840s, said there was so much pollen you could have collected a barrel full. Lee heads out to the area with a group of reporters, all on the lookout for the specific type of pollen. Hey, there looks like there's some here. Hey, hey! Oh my gosh, you found it! Lee just needs a test tube full of the pollen-laden water. It's far from a barrel full, but it's more than enough for Lee's efforts to study the molecular structure of the substance of pollen's outer shell, known as sporopollenin. For more than a century, scientists have tried to understand the chemical basis for sporopollenin's unparalleled strength. Sporopollenin shields the DNA in pollen and spores from light, heat, cold, and desiccation. Without it, plants couldn't live on land. But sporopollenin's toughness has made it tough to study. Lee says that nature evolved sporopollenin to resist any attack, including by curious scientists. But recently, researchers may have cracked the code to sporopollenin's defenses. In 2018, Lee and other researchers at the Whitehead, led by plant biologist Jing Qi Wang, published the first complete structure of sporopollenin. Subsequent work by the team has filled in more details about how various groups of plants fine-tuned that structure to better meet their needs. Their proposed structure and the improved view of sporopollenin it offers isn't without controversy, but it's clarified the molecule's essential role in helping plants conquer the land. All seeding plants make pollen. Other land plants, such as moss, produce spores. Pollen and spores carry half the genetic information that the plants need to reproduce. They move through the environment on the wind or on animals to reach another plant of their species and fertilize its egg cell. But along the way, pollen and spores must contend with dangers that range from dehydration to the sun's ultraviolet rays to hungry insects. Since plants first rooted on land about 470 million years ago, keeping the genetic information within pollen and spores safe during their journey to fertilization has been vital. 
The main strategy that plants employ to protect that DNA is to encase it in a specialized shell of sporopollenin. It's impervious to the elements and among the toughest materials produced by any living thing. It has been found intact in half-billion-year-old rocks. A 2016 paper found that because of the robustness of sporopollenin, spores maintained their stability in diamond anvils at pressures of 10 gigapascals, or 725 tons per square inch. Researchers have known and wondered about sporopollenin since at least 1814. They observed that even after the rest of a pollen grain or spore was chemically dissolved away, a strange substance always remained. For most of the next century, those studying it in spores and pollen worked separately, referring to it exclusively as either sporinin or pollenin. It was dubbed sporopollenin in 1931 to appease both communities. For decades thereafter, knowledge about the molecule largely ended with the name. Researchers recognized that sporopollenin could be key to understanding how plants conquered nearly every habitat on Earth. They dreamed of using the material for everything from coating the hulls of ships to protecting fragile proteins in oral vaccines. But getting the structure and chemical composition of sporopollenin was a prerequisite for any further work. And that was maddeningly difficult. Chemists usually determine the structure of a complex molecule by breaking it down into its constituent parts. They then find the structure of those and piece them back together. But sporopollenin was too inert for the usual chemical agents to digest it. Starting in the 1960s, new biochemical methods and mass spectrometry made some progress on the structure and chemical composition. Biologists later even inferred some details from knowledge of the genes and enzymatic processes that synthesize sporopollenin. But none of these methods could deliver a full picture of the molecule. Sporopollenin seemed to have two parallel backbones made of molecules called polyketides, not unlike the sugar backbones in the double helix of DNA. These backbones appeared to be connected by a weave of linkages of different types. But this sketch was incomplete, and some of the findings from the biochemical and genetic methods conflicted with one another. Joseph Banub is a professor of chemistry and biochemistry at Memorial University of Newfoundland in Canada. He says the only thing that everyone agreed on was the empirical formula for the composition of carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen. Lee started working on sporopollenin soon after he joined Wang's lab at the Whitehead Institute as a postdoc in 2014. In the Cambridge neighborhood of Kendall Square, where biomedical research is the primary obsession, the lab is one of the few places where people study plants. Research there is focused on the galaxy of botanical molecules that remain uncharacterized. Sporopollenin was an irresistible challenge for Lee. Its function was well known, and the genes for making it were in every seed and spore-producing plant. This implied that sporopollenin was a basic adaptation, enabling plants to live on land at the very beginning of their escape from the oceans. Yet, the chemistry behind that ability remained blurry. 
It would have been poetic if Lee's early work on sporopollenin had used pollen collected from the waters of Walden Pond, but convenience trumped romance. The pollen his team initially studied was ordered from Amazon. Really. Pollen from pitch pine is actually sold as a health supplement. The rest came from Cape Cod. For months, Lee and his collaborators ran trial and error testing on compounds that can degrade other tough biopolymers. Eventually, they developed a new multi-step process that could take samples of pollen, pummel them in a ball milling machine, and chemically fracture the contained sporopollenin molecules. Half of each molecule broke down into six distinct pieces that could then be characterized by mass spectrometry. The other half of the molecule, which they called the R group for recalcitrant, only broke down when mixed with another dissolving agent. They could get a partial view of R this way, but the process degraded other features of the molecule. So Lee's group resorted to a more exotic technology to characterize it solid-state nuclear magnetic resonance spectroscopy. The fruit of that work was a paper published in Nature Plants in December of 2018. It proposed the most complete molecular structure of sporopollenin to date. Sporopollenin has aromatic molecules that hang off the backbones in alternating L shapes. The backbone is bound with the cross linkages, these basic units link together to form the complete exine shell, which takes on radically different shapes in different plants, though the basic molecular subunits are fundamentally similar. The structure gave credence to the idea that the hardiness of sporopollenin arises from the varied braided linkages between the backbones. These ester and ether linkages are resistant, respectively, to basic and acidic conditions. Together, they resist both. The structure that Lee's group proposed also included several aromatic molecules known to be resistant to ultraviolet light, which accounted for sporopollenin's ability to guard DNA from the elements. Wang says without these metabolic innovations, plants wouldn't have been able to migrate from water to land in the first place. Recently, Lee and his colleagues used their method to characterize sporopollenin from more than 100 diverse land plant species collected from botanic gardens around the northeastern United States. Lee says the structure of sporopollenin varies across plant types in a curious pattern. They found that gymnosperms, the land plant group that includes cycads, and conifers like pitch pine, and the so-called lower land plants like mosses and ferns, tend to have long, similar sporopollenins. This makes sense, because these plants disseminate their pollen willy-nilly, on the wind. They need long-chain sporopollenin to protect it. But among angiosperms, or flowering plants, the situation is more complex. Their flowers shade their pollen from sun and desiccation, and insects efficiently move pollen from flower to flower, minimizing the exposure to other risks. So angiosperms don't need their sporopollenin to be so uniformly robust. Lee says making long-chain sporopollenin is also an energy-intensive process, so when flowers evolved, they didn't want to produce pine-like sporopollenin anymore. According to Lee and Wang, 
Significant differences seem to have evolved between the sporopollinins produced by the two major categories of angiosperms, monocots, and dicots. These diverge in the structures of their embryos, vasculature, stems, roots, and flowers. Of course, the distinctions aren't absolute. Lee says some flowering plants do produce sporopollinin with a pine-like structure. Part of the monocot shared similar sporopollinin with pine. So this is another interesting <laughs> question. Why they already evolved the flower? Why they still keep the pine-like sporopollinin? Let's say if we have another six million years, they maybe lose the function of those. Or maybe there are other ecological checks and balances at play, preserving that sporopollinin structure for certain groups of plants. Lee says evolution is not a line. Like the wilds, sometimes on the land, sometimes in the water, sometimes back to the land, sometimes back. <laughs> Even they live in the ocean, they still have some mammal characters. Yet whales still have some land animal characteristics. Perhaps some flower pollens retain obsolete traces of their own history. Other plant researchers agree that Li and Wang's structural work on sporopollinin has improved our knowledge of the molecule. But not all of them are persuaded that their proposal is correct, or that it concludes the century-long search for the structure of sporopollinin. Zhang Nan Yang is a biologist who studies sporopollinin at Shanghai Normal University. With this genetic data, it's very clear. Actually, it's much clearer what's the composition of this structure. Yang says Li and his colleagues still must identify the genes responsible for the enzymes needed to make certain features of pine sporopollinin. A 2020 study aimed at demystifying and unraveling the molecular structure of sporopollinin posed a more direct challenge. Banub's group at Memorial University used a bevy of methods and worked on sporopollinin from club moss rather than pine. They arrived at a structure that differed in several important ways from the one proposed by Li and Wang. Most importantly, Banup says they've proved there are no aromatic compounds within the sporopollinin. He thinks the disparity might be explained by differences between sporopollinin and pine and club moss. Lee says in his personal view they are not correct, but Lee prefers not to comment further until some relevant results from his lab are ready for publication. Tegan Quilicini, a plant biologist at Canada's National Research Council who's studied sporopollinin, says it's still quite the mysterious polymer, despite what some reports suggest. Notwithstanding the controversies over their structure for sporopollinin, Lee and others in the Wang lab have moved on to another evolutionary question. Has nature figured out how to take apart this nearly indestructible material it put together? Lee compares sporopollinin to lignin, the plant polymer that strengthens wood and bark. After woody plants first evolved about 360 million years ago, the geological record shows an abundance of fossilized lignin in strata for tens of millions of years. Then, suddenly, about 300 million years ago, the lignin vanishes. Its disappearance marks the moment when a fungus called white rot evolved enzymes capable of degrading lignin and ate much of it before it could fossilize. Lee reasons that sporopollinin must have a fungus or other microbe capable of breaking it down. Otherwise, we'd be drowning in the stuff. 
Lee's back-of-the-envelope calculations are that 100 million tons of sporopollenin are produced in forests every year. That doesn't even account for the sporopollenin produced by grasses. If nothing is eating it, where does it all go? That's why Lee opted to forego Amazon in favor of a day at Walden Pond to grab his latest sample of pollen. Observations by his team suggest that some microorganisms grown in petri dishes can survive when fed nothing but sporopollenin and nitrogen. Samples from Walden, which are naturally full of lake microbial communities, should help Lee determine whether populations of fungi and other microbes in the wild can unlock the nutrients in sporopollenin's seemingly unbreakable molecules. Matt Carlstrom helped with this episode. I'm Susan Vallett. For more on this story, read James Deneen's full article, How the Diamond of the Plant World Helped Land Plants Evolve, on our website, quantamagazine.org. Explore more science mysteries in the Quanta book, Alice and Bob Meet the Wall of Fire, published by the MIT Press. Available now at amazon.com, barnesandnoble.com, or your local bookstore. Also, make sure to tell your friends about the Quanta Magazine Science Podcast and give us a positive review or follow where you listen. It helps people find this podcast. Mm-hmm.